I invite you now to participate in the reading of the Psalter, which is Psalm 80. The choir will give us some musical direction. shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. In the presence of Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come and save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with all the bread and tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent all things to the sea and it shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? Or from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock which your right hand planted. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your countenance. But let your hand be upon those of your right hand, the ones whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we will never turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved.
Testament lesson comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 5 and beginning with the first verse. I will sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and he cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a vine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded rotten grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judea judge between me and my vine vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected to yield grapes, why did it yield rotten grapes? Now I will tell you what I will do to my vine vineyard. I'll remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled, trampled down. I will make it a wasteland. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they may rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah. Judea are his cherished garden. He expected justice but saw bloodshed, righteousness but heard a cry. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I meant to say earlier, thanks to everybody on this side of the church for your patience with us this morning. We are still under construction, so things are still uh, happening. The real challenge for the next 20 minutes is going to be to stay awake, right? So uh, we'll see. Um, reminds me, my great aunt came to hear me preach when I was a student preacher at Duke Chapel. She sat right down on the front row and was out like a light with about five minutes. And uh, she said to me afterwards, she said, that was a great sermon. And I said, well, thank you. She said, I know my eyes looked like I was asleep, but I was just resting them. <clears throat> Will you pray with me? From cowardice that dares not face new truth, from laziness content with half-truth, from arrogance that thinks it knows all truth, good Lord, deliver us. Amen. Last fall, my wife Catherine and I finally got to take our long-delayed honeymoon to Napa Valley. Uh, and I cannot, if you get me started, if it's like putting a quarter in the slot machine, if you get me started talking about it, I won't stop. Uh, even if you don't care about wine, like the weather, it's so cool. It was, I, I could move there in a heartbeat and the Redwood Forest and we got to spend a couple of days in San Francisco and the food's amazing. And the vineyards, we went on these tours and we got to meet with these vineyard owners and listen to their stories. And uh, it's interesting, I was remembering one of the vineyards we went to, they handed us uh, like a piece of paper and a pencil. And I think what they thought was, you know, we were going to try the wines and listen to them and like write down all the wines we wanted to buy. And I'm listening to the stories and start writing. And what I was writing down was like all these allusions to scripture. It was just incredible because they're telling stories about growing. And I'm, I'm starting to imagine all of these things. Like this is one of the most prominent images in the Bible for God's people is of a vineyard. 
And think about Jesus, one of the most famous things he says in John's gospel. I am the vine, you are the branches. The, the image on your bulletin, the image on the screen comes from Amiens Cathedral. Like going back to the Middle Ages, this image has been so crucial for us. The spiritual dimensions of what it takes to grow, to grow a vineyard, it's just so powerful. I saw another church that had done a series like this, exploring all these Bible verses, and I thought, hey, it's summer, why don't we try it? Now, I have to make a, a disclaimer as we start. Somebody said to me last week, they saw the notice in the bulletin, they said, well, you'd never find a preacher doing something like this in a Baptist church. <laughs> and I couldn't tell if that was meant as a compliment or a criticism, um, but here's my disclaimer and the point. This is not a sermon series about drinking wine. This is not a sermon series about drinking. No, in all seriousness, the United Methodist Church has a long history of being very mindful of those who struggle. I'm, I'm just mindful of, of that, so please hear that. I do think of something uh, my friend James Howell said once. Uh, he said, people ask me, can Methodists drink? And he said, the answer to that is the same as the answer to the question, can Methodists dance? Some can and some can't. No, this is a series about vines and vineyards and what they might say to us. When we were in Napa Valley, what I discovered was amazing is that everybody there has a vineyard. Even if you live on a tiny plot of land, the chances are that you are going to have devoted some portion of your land to growing a vineyard. In fact, one of our tour guides told us, he said, actually, some of the best wine that comes out of Napa Valley, you can't buy because it's grown by just average people. They grow their, their grapes and then they take it down to the processing center. They get maybe a, a case of wine out of the whole thing and it's just incredible. That makes me think about one thing and that is that in Jesus' day, it would have been the same. Nearly everybody would have had a vineyard. Why? Because the water was not safe to drink. And the only thing to drink was wine. When we did our series back in, during Lent on dining with Jesus, I shared with you this just stunning thought, like that the average person in Jesus' day would have consumed between a liter and a liter and a half of wine every single day. That's what they drank from sunup to sundown. So everybody would have known this imagery. It would have come alive for them as they heard the scriptures read and proclaimed. The prophet Isaiah imagines God planting a vineyard. Now, what is the vineyard that God plants? On one level, we could say, like, the earth, all of creation is this vineyard that God plants. Think about God in the Garden of Eden. He's a gardener walking through, calling for Adam and Eve. In fact, Adam and Eve, a very, the very human life comes to be because God gets down in the dirt and brings it up and breathes life into it. The people of Israel, as Isaiah proclaims this morning, imagine themselves as God chosen, God's beloved people, to be like a vineyard that God was going to tend and care for and be responsible for. Jesus used the analogy of a vineyard and said, I'm like the the vine and you're like the branches. You're, you're called as Christians, we're called to be, to be vines in the vineyard. Now, whichever one of these you, you go with, the one thing that's constant is this abiding faith and trust in God as a gardener who is faithful, God who is good to the vineyard. Isaiah says that God planted it. 
God tended after it. God protected it. God gave it everything it could possibly need. In the psalm, you get the, you get the sense, right? Things aren't going so well in the vineyard. And yet, what does the psalmist do? The psalmist cries out to God again and again with this confidence that God would be there, that God would hear their cries, that God would rescue them, that God will save. Things weren't going well in the vineyard. What's not going well in the vineyard? Isaiah says uh, there's no fruit. I came expecting grapes and all I got was rotten grapes. This is pretty amazing. This, this image of a vineyard, we're part of that vineyard. And the whole purpose of a vineyard is to produce grapes. So right from the start, this, this analogy tells us, it tells us who we are. That you and I, we have a calling. We have a mission. We have a purpose. We have a reason for being here. The Westminster Shorter Catechism imagines it, this, imagines it this way. The question is asked, what is the reason for humanity? And the answer comes back, the reason for humanity is to glorify God and enjoy God forever. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, understood that to glorify God meant to bear fruit. And so one of the questions he was always asking was, where's the fruit? It's still in our, in our discipline today. Uh, Caleb Setzer is a candidate for ministry in our church. He came to meet with our staff parish as the discipline requires, and we're required to go through some questions, historic questions that John Wesley asked of every candidate for ministry, you know, from the beginning of time. I'm joking, right? you would think. Anyway, and the question right there that we had to ask of Caleb, that was asked of me, is do they have fruit? And that doesn't mean, like, did Caleb show up to the staff parish meeting with a fruit basket? Right? The question is, like, does he have fruit? Are they fruitful? Are they glorifying God? Are they living into their calling, their mission, their purpose that God has for them? You and I, we have a calling. We have a mission. We have a reason for being here. And what is it? Isaiah says very plainly, God was looking for the fruit of justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness. Justice. The Hebrew word is mishpat. Mishpat. It appears over 400 times in the Old Testament alone. Justice. I heard this TV commentator. This has been 10, 15 years ago now. And this TV commentator said, if you show up to church and your pastor, your preacher, uses the word justice, you should leave because that is not Christianity. And I wanted to say, have you even opened the Bible? It's in there 400 times. Justice. It's the fruitfulness God is looking for from his vineyard. All these passages, if you read them, what they show us is that justice is God's dream for a community for a world that mirrors the heart of God so that all people, especially the poor and the vulnerable and the voiceless, are cared for. It's been fascinating. All the news from the Supreme Court this week, and I've been reading about Mishpat. And I don't have a lot to say, but I will say this. A world in which life is honored and respected 
in which all of life is honored and respected is certainly a world that God wants. I love the way our Catholic friends talk about a seamless garment of life. Our bishop wrote in an email or in a, a post this week, he said, it's a, a consistent ethic of life from the womb to the grave, at every age and in every status and in every place, the poor and the vulnerable and the voiceless cared for. Right, children are born and we have to care for them. A third of every child in North Carolina today lives in poverty. Honoring life means doing something about that. Honoring life means doing something about children dying in our schools. Justice is God's dream for a community in which we mirror the heart of God. Righteousness. It's more than just doing good things. It's having a heart for God, a love for God. Having a love for God that flows into a love for others. There's something really cool in the Hebrew here. I wish we all read Hebrew. Uh, and that's in verse 5, verse 7. Um, Adrian read for us, God expected justice but saw bloodshed. I told you the word for justice is mishpat. The word for bloodshed is actually mishpat. See what, see what I'm saying? So if you were in the Hebrew, what you'd say is God was looking for mishpat and actually got mishpat. You get it? The 830 crowd got it. God was looking for mishpat but got mishpat. Which is kind of a subtle way of saying Y'all, there's going to be so many things in the world that seem like they're the things God wants for us. Maybe sound so similar, look so right, but we have to be discerning and careful, don't we? Mishpat. We have a mission, we have a purpose, a reason for being, and that is to be fruitful. To be here so that all people, all of life is cared for, that is fruitfulness. What makes for a fruitful vineyard? How do you grow a fruitful vineyard? The French have a word for it. It's called terroir. And terroir is like everything that makes up a vine or a vineyard's environment, like the soil, the climate, the topography. I'm not really a, a fancy wine drinker, uh, but uh, when we were in Napa Valley, these wine connoisseurs told me that like you could pour them a glass of wine and they'd tell you whether the, the vines were grown on the hillside or in the valley. Like it makes a difference. Monks in the 12th century that really got all this started in France, uh, they, they were so interested. They got down and like tasted the soil to see if it was right. Like, I don't know if this is going to be good for growing grapes. I don't know. It's, this is amazing to me. One of the most expensive land sales ever was for an acre of land in Burgundy in France, sold for $9.8 million for an acre of land. Why? Because it's producing, they think, like the greatest wines imaginable. Like, are we fruitful? Maybe we need to be attentive to our terroir. What's your terroir like? Like, who are the people that have been influential in your life? Who is surrounding you? 
my wife and I are trying to grow a garden this year, and we don't know the first thing about growing a garden. And you know what we did? We called her uncle and said, Wes, you've grown beautiful gardens. Help us. Right? Who are your spiritual mentors? Everybody needs a spiritual mentor. Like, how am I going to grow? I'm going to ask somebody who knows how to grow in the faith. Like, this instant image of a vineyard suggests for us, like, that we all need somebody. We can't do it by ourselves. What kind of terroir are we growing here at First United Methodist Church? What kind of terroir are we growing for our children? Wendell Berry, the great writer, suggested that when, when we grow gardens, we learn to deal with the most urgent question of our time. And that question is how much is enough? When you try to grow a vineyard, you learn to deal with the most pressing question of our time. How much is enough? I'm struggling with it right now. How much water do I put on my squash plants? How much is too much? How much is enough? How much fertilizer? How much sun? How much time? And those are the same questions that we're struggling with in our lives, right? Like, how much is enough? How much money? How much stuff? How much status? How much achievement? How much accomplishment? How much accumulation? How much is enough? How much is enough? See, all this stuff matters. The terroir and what kind of vines you will produce. I learned in Napa Valley that grapevines have really strong roots. In many cases, a central tap root that in a lot of cases goes all the way down, like sometimes as deep as 15 feet to the water table. So like we were in Napa Valley and it hadn't rained in months. And a lot of these vineyards don't have great irrigation systems, but those, those vines have these roots that tap into the water that they need. Actually, this one guy said to me, he said, you know, the, the best wines we produce are produced in the years we've had significant drought. Really? He said, yeah. He said, a little stress, a little stress on those grapes makes for a really rich and beautiful and complex wine. And I had my pencil because at this point I'm just furiously scribbling like, what a beautiful image. You think about your terroir. I bet every one of us could probably, in some cases, maybe it was a family member or a relationship, and it, it was not good, and it was painful and difficult, and, or maybe a situation or a, a trial or a suffering, and you've had that stressor, and the beautiful thing is that God is there and God works, and gosh, we turn out more beautiful, more complex more fruitful on the other side. God works. The question is, do we have roots deep enough to sustain us? These scriptures, like the psalmist has a bleak situation and yet confidently pleads, restore us, Lord. Please come and restore us. Isaiah sees just fruitlessness. There's no fruit here. Everybody's turned away from God. The theologian Karl Barth spoke of it this way. He said, it's the inexplicable, the inexplicable thing that God has given each one of us everything. And we just don't get it. 
So somebody said, you know, I've, I've given up trying to make sense of all the horrors that happen in the world. Because if I explain it and make sense of it, it seems normal, but it's not normal. It's inexplicable. Maybe what we need to do is take heed of these scriptures, friends. Plead with God. Deep in our roots. Pay attention to the terroir until that day when all is made well. Isaiah comes back to this image of a vineyard in chapter 27, and this is what he sees. On that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing about it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, I guard it night and day so that no one can harm it. They cling to me for protection. They make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. Peace with God. May it be so.